You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Can we give our worship team a round of applause? I, I promise you, you don't know how good you have it. I, uh, I am so thankful that we have incredible, uh, talented worship leaders, but anointed worship leaders that are not just here to, to, to play their instruments, but to usher us into the presence of God. And uh, it's just an honor to, to have that. And I don't, I don't take it lightly. I've, I've said before, um, if it were up to me, we'd probably just worship the whole service. And uh, not just because I don't want to have to do my job, but uh, because it's really, really my favorite part. Uh, of what we do. So anyway, amazing, amazing worship. Well, in case you don't know who I am, I used to go to this church and um, <laughs> I promise. Uh, no, all jokes aside, uh, my name is Braden, in case you're new. My name is Braden. Uh, one of the ladies up here leading worship today was my wife, Leanne, and we actually were the founding pastors of our New Life Church. We started this church almost 10 years ago. So we'll have our 10th anniversary this year. Pretty excited about that. Uh, I've been, uh, yeah, uh, we made it. <laughs> uh, we, I'm actually working on right now, kind of trimming down a short list. I'm shooting for the moon. We're going to have somebody f- freaking cool come on our 10th anniversary. And so uh, really excited about trying to figure out who that's, narrowing it down to exactly who that's going to be. And so i uh, celebrate our 10th anniversary. But uh, just in case you didn't know this, some of you may know, but in case you didn't, my wife and I have been on a pretty lengthy sabbatical. We have never done anything like that before. Uh, I have some oversight in my life, and several months ago they came to Leanne and I both and said, we think you guys need to take a break, take some time off. And uh, I did not think I needed it, so I argued at first, uh, but then I submitted (laughs) and said yes. And it's been, it was one of those things, to be honest with you, I, I was looking for something spectacular to happen. And for the first few months, nothing spectacular happened. But um, it, was, it was really, really good. And I'll, I'll get into more of that uh, in a minute because I want to kind of launch off uh, something there uh, for today's message. Before we go any further, I want to give a quick announcement. We're gonna, we've got a pretty significant change coming to this campus. Uh, most of you, raise your hand if you're a part of a home church. You got some home church folks? Okay, good, good portion. Uh, of the rest of you, we have a, a repentance service. Um, <laughs> Directly following, uh, no, all jokes aside. Uh, really, we are actually going to be shutting down home churches for this semester and doing something a little different. We're going to have Wednesday nights here, and I'm going to come every Wednesday night uh, for the next several weeks uh, when we start February 15th. Uh, we're going to have Wednesday nights. I don't want to call them services. I know I'm probably going to mess up and eventually call them a service. We're going to call them Wednesday night gatherings, but I don't want them to feel so put together is the only way I know to say it. And uh, there's a lot of things that we do on a, on a Sunday morning to make sure that new visitors are feel welcome um, from the time they get into our parking lot. And I, I love that, and we're never going to stop doing that. Uh, I'm, uh, over, even over sabbatical, I got a chance to visit a couple of churches, and I was the new guy. And I got to see what a lot of people go through walking up to a church for the first time, and you're like, I don't even know where I'm going and all the things. And so we try to do a really good job of eliminating as many question marks and lowering the anxiety level to as low as we can possibly get it before you come into one of our services. Uh, that's not what Wednesday night's going to be like. It's family, so we're going to try to treat it like family, create an environment of family, the best of our ability. I want this to feel like one giant living room. We're going to have some 
some finger foods. We're going to hang out. We're going to do some worship. Uh, even the teaching will be a little bit more engaging. We'll have a panel up here some days where we're talking through some things. And for the lack of a better word, I want it to feel like we are having a conversation. Not me just teaching, but we are having a conversation. Obviously, we're going to introduce some things. I feel like we're supposed to uh, spend some time on our core values and just hear my heart on some of our core values, how we landed on those, why I think they're important. Um, but then there's also going to be an opportunity for question and answering. So if you've ever thought, man, in the middle of a service, there's, uh, something pops in your mind. It's like, I wish right now I could just ask him or ask her what he thinks or she thinks about that. Well, you'll be able to do that. There'll be par- a portion of that, those services where those gatherings, not services, uh, where we <laughs> have some engagement there. And so we'll place for your kids. You'll be able to bring your kids. We'll have childcare. We're going to do some movie nights with the kids, bring in a popcorn machine, do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Cody and the team here. Uh, by the way, can we just give Cody and Stacy an incredible, uh, our hand clap for doing an incredible job. Freaking love those guys. Cody is so much more spiritual than the rest of us. I don't know if y'all know that. But like Cody, is, he literally is so much more spiritual. We were all, you know, we're in the, our 30 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, I was talking to Cody. I was like, oh, so what are you fasting? And he's like, well, and he started going down and he said, Mondays, I don't eat at all. And I'm like, like, you don't eat anything? He's like, not just water. And I'm like, you're so much better than I. Like, <laughs> so spiritual. And they're regularly parent shaming us. It's like, I... They'll be telling us stuff they're doing with their kids. And like, even their kids are a part of the fast. And I'm like, I didn't even think about that. Thanks a lot, Cody, you jerk. You know? <laughs> Seriously, they do such an incredible job. But, uh, so he, he, him and the staff here will hammer out the details and they'll make Wednesday night feel incredible. I was here this week working on some of those things. And so uh, it's going to be good. Uh, our, our, our home church pastors, man, they give a lot. They sow a lot. Takes a lot of their time from our home church pastors to their assistants to the host homes who are preparing their houses every single week. Uh, when we started this journey, we knew it was going to be research and development. In fact, most of this church is research and development. And uh, we're just constantly hungry for what God's not, not what he's done in the past, but what he wants us to do right now and what he's doing on the earth. And we're trying new things and trying to get there. And so uh, as, as, it, as we kind of got into this semester, we realized, I think they need a break. I think they're going to take a breather and spend a whole semester pouring into them. While we're having Wednesday night gatherings, Cody's also going to do some things with the leadership uh, the home church pastors and their assistants and hosts and really just pour into them, train them, equip them. Our plan is to be uh, ready to get back going in the fall with our home churches. I was telling a guy about this and he said, you know, you might ought to tone back how good Wednesday nights are because people may not want to go back to home churches afterwards. But uh, the belief is still the same. We believe that discipleship happens in the context of family. And I'm not here to gather a crowd. I think it would be a waste of all of our time if all that we did in our Christian experience was to show up on a Sunday morning and see how big we could get one gathering. This does not feel like what Jesus died for, but I do think he died for sons and daughters becoming more like him. And to become more like him, you need to have spiritual moms and dads that walk you through this journey, that know your name, that know your kids' names. And as the church grows, it's impossible to staff enough people to do that and do it effectively. Uh, And I would propose to you, there are more pastors in this room than you know. In fact, some of you, as I'm saying that, you're like, he ain't talking to me. Oh, I'm talking to you. Some of you are in here are called to lead, you're called to pastor, and you'd say, man, I, I, there's no way you, you're, you're wrong, you, this can't be true. Well, let me just tell you a quick story. Moses, there was a time in Moses' life where his father-in-law Jethro came to him and gave him a strategy for how to take care of a large group of people. And here's what he said to him. He said, if you keep doing it this way where it's all about you, and how many of you guys have ever been to a church or been to a, seen a church where it was all about one, one dude, or maybe even just a staff member? The staff members, maybe it's all about them. That's not who we are. 
And, and Jethro tells Moses, he said, if you keep doing it this way, you're gonna kill yourself and them. This is not gonna be good for either one of you. He said, however, if you'll set rulers, and listen to what he says, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, all the way down to 10, which says to me, there are some of you in here, you may not be ready for a thousand or hundreds, maybe even fifties, but I bet you, you got enough inside you for 10. Your testimony alone is enough to pour into 10 people. And I just think that's something that we're trying to embrace here and do a really good job of allowing the body of Christ to be the body of Christ and minister to itself. Uh, I'm, I mean, even after the service, I'm getting ministered to you. I, I preach a message and someone comes up to me and says, hey, I, I mean, that was a great message. Uh, but I, I, there was something you said, it was really much, a lot like something I said, or, or listened to a preacher say last week, and I think you should put this into your message, which is always great to tell me that I, when someone comes up and says, you could have done better. Um, <laughs> just a joke, just a joke. Uh, no, but honestly, it's like, man, I've, I'm really appreciative of that, and the, the way he put it, and the way he repeated what this other pastor had said, it was good for me. That's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. We're all in this together. So just so you know, starting February 15th, Wednesday nights, uh, uh, gatherings here, youth will continue to go on. That's another good thing. If you bring your kid to youth, you can just hop on right over here. We'll have our gathering, and then you'll be done right in time to pick up your kid. The two services will go on simultaneously. So really looking forward to that. Amen? Can we just give our home church pastors a round of applause for all that they do? Joe and Anna, several others. Uh, they, a lot of them are in our first service. So anyway, I'm excited about this, and I'm really excited to be here with you guys more often. Uh, my goal is to make every single one of them, and so uh, I, think I, can, I think I can do it. So anyway, did you bring your Bibles? Four people. <laughs> Get out your phones and act like you have a Bible app and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter Acts chapter 10, uh, I know this is crazy, but we're a church that believes the Bible, all of it. You, I, back in the old days, we used to say, we believe it all from Genesis, Genesis to the maps. And like, did y'all know Bibles used to have maps in them? I'm like, I actually don't know what they were there for, but they were there, so uh, it had maps. And so we believe the Bible, that's what we're gonna use today. Um, you know, like I said, sabbatical was really interesting with, for Leanne and I, a couple of things I just, because people have asked, so what was it like? didn't start off so spectacular. It wasn't like this, this spectacular event. In fact, the first six or seven weeks was an intense, intense season where Leanne and I just worked on our marriage. And I think in ministry and spending all of our time in a lot of ways looking at other, working on other people's problems and lives, it's like, I think it was good for us to take a look at us. There were some things I think we needed to work through and just turn, in terms of what does this next decade the uh, next 20 years, 30 years of ministry look like, reestablishing our roles, our calling, clarity around the, what we're doing. And uh, it was intense. We actually asked a couple of friend, uh, for some friends of ours were said, hey, y'all know us the best. Would y'all go on this journey with us? And, and uh, they agreed. And so this couple from Florida, we had uh, weekly phone meetings. We had had one meeting, a two-hour meeting every week with them where it was all four of us together. And then I did another one of those meetings with him and she did another one of those meetings with the lady. And um, it was incredible. And then lots of time when you, when you don't have an office to go to, there's a lot of time like just sitting there at breakfast be like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? and it, it, but it was really good because we, we spent a ton of time talking. There were 
just really honest with you, there were days where we talked through some deep stuff and some truths that needed to be said and some transparency and some vulnerability about where we were and where we wanted to be. And uh, there were days where we would talk four or five hours at a time and by four or five hours later, we're both exhausted. And like, can we just call a timeout and circle back in a couple of days? Like I need, to, I need to breathe for a minute. So super good for us to really do some deep work. Uh, and, and can I just say, it's actually okay not to be okay. Can I just say that? And like, I think one of the one, and we'll talk more about this today, but one of the first things you have to overcome if you're gonna ever fulfill the call of God on your life is he didn't call you, he didn't call perfect people. He called imperfect people so that he could perfect them. And I think we're all on a journey and, and, and it's okay. So if you're in here today and you feel shame because your marriage isn't where it's supposed to be, uh, this is not a house of shame. That's not what this is about. And the new covenant's not a covenant of shame. We'll talk more about that later. But I'm hoping that by the end of this, uh, this message that you feel more freedom and more hope and faith for your marriage and even belief in yourself and who God's called you to be than maybe ever before. Talked about our marriage. We worked on that. Another thing that happened, I reestablished some rhythms in my life. Uh, I think I had gotten to a place where uh, I, I was working really hard, but I had neglected some areas of intimacy where I was spending enough time with the Lord personally myself. Uh, as a spiritual leader, I heard Jimmy Evans say this, and it's not a perfect science, but uh, it, 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 it's pretty true. Our main job is to lead and feed. We lead the church, but we also feed the church. And human nature always drifts away from pressure. So whatever's the hardest, we'll catch ourselves slowly drifting away from that. Um, your car does this every time it passes a gym. It just seems to turn. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on right now. You know? It's like you go to a buffet and you reach for vegetables and your hand just goes to the cake. It's like, I don't even know. Um, so we do that. And as a, as a leader, I, I'm, I'm way more comfortable leading than I am feeding. I love meetings. I love meeting with people. I love building. I love processes. I love all the nerdy stuff that most pastors don't like. Uh, I, I love it. And I think I caught myself in a place where I was spending more time doing that and not nearly enough time in the presence of God, in, in personal prayer relationship with God, in the secret place so that I could feed well. And so that was definitely something I wanted to address and, and have uh, pretty successfully so far. And uh, so new rhythms that I think are gonna give us, me and Leanne both, uh, the, what it takes to go the long haul. And then the last thing is actually something we're gonna talk about today. One of the last things that happened was early in December, the Lord began to speak to me. And he gave me kind of two things, some clarity, but also some correction about where we're supposed to go as a church. And, and that's really what I wanna to talk to you about today. Um, Acts chapter 10, there's a principle here that I want you to see that's gonna help us go through this because, um, well, I'll just, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 10, but before we get there, let me just give you a very brief summary of how, when we start reading where we're at, Peter, uh, Apostle Peter is kind of traveling around doing apostle stuff, checking on searches, sharing, sharing the gospel, and he finds himself in the city of Joppa. Uh, doesn't say whose house it is, but he's at this house, and it says that he goes to the roof to pray. And while he was praying, he got hungry. So he tells someone, hey, can you fix me some food? And while they're fixing his food, it says that he falls into a trance. And in this trance, he said, it says that he saw a vision of a sheet uh, bound by four corners, coming from heaven to earth. And I wanna talk about that vision, what he saw, how he responded. Starting here in verse 10, it says, and he became very hungry, wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. 
And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at four corners descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now, what's important about this is knowing some context that Peter was a Jew. Uh, He was a Jew, and some of the animals that were on this sheet, uh, according to Jewish custom, they were not supposed to be eating these animals. They were considered unclean animals. And so that's, that's a little bit of context. So this could have, as you can imagine, could have been a bit interesting when these animals that he's never eaten are lifted down and he hears the voice of the Lord say, rise, Peter, kill these animals and eat them. In verse 14, we just see, for lack of a better word, Peter being Peter. If you know much about Peter, Peter just talks before he thinks. And Peter says, not so, Lord, uh, not the best way to start a conversation with the Lord. He says, not so. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. He says, and, and think, listen to what he said. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Another translation would be what God has called clean, don't call it unclean. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while all of this was happening, God was also simultaneously speaking to a Gentile named Cornelius. And he had spoken to Cornelius and says, hey, there's this guy, here's where he's at. He's at this house, I want you to go to him. Tell him I sent sent you to get him. Uh, He has a message for you and I've, I've given him a heads up that you're coming. And so sure enough, the Lord tells Peter, hey, as after this trance, he tells Peter, hey, there's a guy coming. I want you to go with him. So these, these, these things are happening at the same time. Now, it's important that you understand, again, Peter was a Jew, Cornelius was a Gentile. And Jews and Gentiles were not supposed to be hanging out together. And so, uh, but he, Peter goes anyway. There's, I mean, if, when you have such an encounter with the Lord, sometimes you're willing to say, okay, I don't, I didn't think I was supposed to be doing this, but I clearly had a vision. This guy showed up, everything's lining up. So he goes. Fast forward to the next day. I want you to listen to their conversation. Oh, and if you read between the lines, I don't have time to read all this. If you go read between, uh, right before verse 24, somewhere between 16 and 24, what you'll see is Peter's, Peter's meditating on this vision that he had. He's, he's thinking about it. He's meditating on this vision. He's like, what in the world could this possibly mean? This, this sheet coming down. So he's meditating. Mind you, 24 hours. This, is, this just happened 24 hours ago. Verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and he fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also just a man. And as he walked, I'm sorry, as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or even go to one of another nation. So he's telling him, you guys know this is not, We're not supposed to be doing this. And then he says something so profound. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now this is funny to me, and if I put myself in Peter's situation, I've been in situations like this, and I cannot tell you how easy it is to just blow right on past. It's like 24 hours ago, the Lord's showing Peter something, and he's going, nope, can't be right, not true, not gonna eat it, not gonna touch that, doesn't make any sense, pondered it all day. But all of a sudden in this moment, it's like, gentlemen, I have a revelation from the Lord. 
the Lord has spoken, and I am full of faith with what I'm about to tell you. you know. What did he say? He said, the Lord has shown me not to call anything common or unclean if God himself has already called it clean. Now this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is after the availability of the new covenant. And one of the things that the new covenant, for us, this might not make much sense or be that significant. But what happened with what Jesus did is that the Jews were God's chosen people. That was his family. And what Jesus did said is no longer do I just have a chosen generation. I'm gonna allow all Gentiles to be grafted into our family. Now there's no such thing as Jew or Gentile anymore. You all have the same rights and access to Jesus, to God, as, the Jew, as once only the Jews had access to. So this is fascinating. So what you're seeing here is, is Peter having an epiphany where he's like, wait a minute, I thought it was just about animals. I thought this dream was just about animals. This, that, that dream had nothing to do with animals. He was showing me the significance of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I will never call something unclean if what Jesus did called it clean. Now, why is that significant? Because oftentimes, as leaders, and I, all of us in here have a capacity to lead, so, so, so bear with me. But as a leader, sometimes God will take you on a personal journey. He'll bring a revelation to you. He'll bring correction to you so that you will eventually bring that revelation and even that correction to those that you have influence over. If you go on and read, Peter led the rest of the, these Gentiles, led them to the Lord, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues, and they were a testimony. They were a testament that God, God's not just hanging out with the Jews anymore, He's with everybody. So 24 hours after receiving a revelation that he himself didn't even believe, he's preaching that revelation and seeing people born again for the first time. My point in this is this principle. Sometimes God will take you on a journey so that you will take others. Now, here's why that's important, or I think that's important today. Uh, go ahead and turn to Revelations chapter two. Revelations chapter two. And I wanna share something with you. Um, that the Lord began to talk to me about in December. Um, this was the, the way we were kind of, I was kind of coached on this sabbatical. I was told take these months off in the month of December, kind of start coming back, kind of start leaning into leadership. I didn't, I didn't try to write messages on sabbatical. I, this was not a, that's not what it was for. And so, but they said around December, start kind of coming back into it. So I, I started to lean into, okay, Lord, what would you, what are you saying to me? What's the direction of the church? Anything that you'd like to say there? And he spoke very clearly um, to me and directed me to Revelations 2. Now, here's why this is important. In Scripture, there are three different places in Scripture where there are a list of gifts in Scripture. Now, why that's significant is because there's also three members of the Trinity, three members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, a little bit of numerology here, there's the, those, those two things go together because there are, one of the lists of gifts are father gifts. One of the lists of gifts are son gifts or Jesus gifts. Another list of gifts are Holy Spirit gifts. Now, what we know according to scripture is that God uses the natural to teach us the spiritual. God uses natural things to teach us spiritual truths. In fact, at one point, Jesus is like, hey, you're not even getting the natural things that I'm saying to you, so how are you ever gonna get the heavenly wisdom, the heavenly truth that I'm trying to get to you if you don't understand the natural? So the natural oftentimes leads us into spiritual truth. Here's what I know. 
according to science, we believe in science, uh, according, sorry, a little Nacho Libre slipped out and I will not let that happen again. Um, idiot, yeah, bless you, Lord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I need to stop, y'all quit, you're agging it on. Um, here's what I know according to science, I'm not gonna say science anymore because now I can see it's Nacho Libre. According to biology, here's what we know. Um, it's our natural fathers, when a, when, a, when a man and a woman come together, it's the father that passes along the DNA to the children. There's a, there's a DNA coding in there that comes from the father. Well, just like in the natural, in the spiritual, there is a DNA coding, a spiritual DNA that's, that you are made with that is in you from the time that you were born again. Remember, when you, when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he didn't clean you up, he killed you, and a new person was born. You were born again, completely new, nothing wrong. So when you were born again, you had new spiritual DNA. Now, you don't have all of God's DNA, because then you'd be God. One of the things we're working on in our house, it's in scripture, if you don't believe me, Go look in the area of Abraham, Sarah. Sarah called Abraham Lord. I'm working on getting Leanne to call me Lord. And um, so far, she's unsubmissive. And that's between her and the Lord. But So you, you, you've, you've got these three... I kind of got distracted there. I got, you've got these three lists of gifts. You've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not all of the gifts, but God put a piece of himself in you so that you would represent him, him to humanity. Also known as represent. You're gonna represent God by representing the piece of his nature that he placed in you through spiritual DNA. Now, uh, you find that list of gifts in, in Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter seven. The, the father gifts are in Romans seven. You'll find the spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter four is where you're gonna find the Jesus gifts. Now, why is that important? Because there's seven father gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. There's seven. Well, you can take that list of seven and you can layer those seven things on any other quote unquote list of sevens in scripture. How many days of creation were there? Seven. This one's a little tougher. How many articles in the tabernacle were there? There were seven. In the book of Revelations, how many letters did the, by the Spirit did John write to churches? So here's what's interesting. So if, the, if you can take the first gift listed in Romans chapter 12, and it will, if you layer that to the first day of creation, the first article in the tabernacle, and even the first letter to the church in Ephesus there in Revelations, it will teach you about you. Side note, you don't need the Enneagram to discover who you are. Thank you. Uh, I won't go into that. It's, it's a little, soft, soft, little touchy subject for me because in my estimation, there are all these other counterfeit things out there that are trying to get you to discover who you are. And if an Enneagram can tell you a number and a wing to describe what you are, it might stop you from looking into scripture to figure out who you really are. I'm gonna leave that right there. It's witchcraft, that's the last one, I promise, last one. Last one. Here's what's good about this. If you understand this, if you study this, if you know what your gift is, if you understand, you can read things and it's the Lord, it's like the Lord saying, hey, let me tell you how I made you. I wanna tell you some things about how I made you. 
Some of it's going to be encouraging because you're going to get to see, hey, that thing, I actually made you that way. There's a reason you're wired that way. But it also, you'll see in Scripture, it's also going to be able to show you, just like some of the counterfeit tests that are out there, it's also going to show you some of the weaknesses that you may have. Now, you might say, how could God possibly give me a piece of himself that had weaknesses? Here's the answer. It's actually not that complicated. He gave you a piece, then he gave you a piece, then he gave you a piece, and if you want to see it all, it forces you into community. It forces you to not act like a know-it-all. It forces you to listen. It forces you to learn. It forces us to come together. If you want to see all of who God is, you have to come to church. I don't preach on that because I'm not here to condemn people by coming to church. You need to come to church, not because you need to come to church. If you want to see God, God is the church. God's not you, but God is the church. You have a peace, but if I want to see what it looks like, I've got to come to the church. I've got to come to the body of Christ, and I have to listen and humble myself. And when someone says something different than me, says, has a different perspective than I do, raises their kids different than I do, handles their finances different than I do, instead of puffing up in pride like I know, I need to learn to listen because there might be something very God about what they're saying. And it's a piece of himself that he gave them, not you. It's a beautiful thing that he's done. Beautiful how he's crafted this whole thing together. And see, it's why the church is so significant. So, the Lord in this season, he's talking to me, and just like we learned through Peter, oftentimes God will get a, a, a leader's attention so that the leader will then lead the people he's over in, the, in a different direction. So the Lord says, hey, uh, I need you to go to Revelation chapter two. And I went, okay, I think I know where this is headed. And um, let's just read this. In Revelations 2, starting in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus I write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. This is going to be important later. Where does God hang out? In the midst of the seven golden lampstands. One of the things we talk a lot about around here is the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, walking in the presence of God, living in the presence of God, inviting the presence of God. Well, according to this scripture, where is the presence of God? with the lampstands. It's gonna be important here in a minute. He says in verse two, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and I found them, and you found them to be liars. You've persevered, you have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, here's what's beautiful about this this concept of understanding the redemptive gifts, the father gifts, and allowing God to use them to talk to you. If you know this, this right here just got very encouraging. Because what the Lord just said, and I'll just tell you how I, I took it. What the Lord just said to me is like, hey dude, you're freaking crushing it. You're working hard. Great job. I'm, I'm watching you work, doing a great job. Thanks for sticking with it. Thanks for not quitting. Thanks for not being afraid to challenge people who say they're one thing, but they're not really. They're not really. Thanks for not having a, a tolerance for lying. I don't like lying either. Thanks for, so some of you, you have some of these qualities. You have some of these characteristics. You, you love working for the Lord. You love doing something for the Lord. You, are, you have very little grace for mediocre. You, you, other, once, you're, once you're a Christian, I mean, you want everybody to be just as Christian as you are. You're like, hey, we ain't gonna put up with this nonsense anymore. You hate lying. You love the truth. Doesn't mean you don't ever lie or exaggerate. I'm just saying, this is how God made you. So if you allow this to, to, to work this way, it can be very encouraging. Now, 
but you have to read verse four. I had to read verse four. It says, nevertheless, I do have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, and we're gonna talk more about this part right here, repent and do the first works. Repent and do the first works. Repent doesn't mean feel sorry for yourself. Repent doesn't mean feel bad. Repent means change. It means change and go a different direction. We, we have no permission under the new covenant to ever feel anything other than what, how God says we're supposed to feel. We don't have, you are not sorry. So when you say, oh, I'm really sorry. No, if you're sorry, you don't actually know. There's a couple things you don't know, and we're gonna get to this. You don't know where you're seated in heavenly places. You don't know where you're hidden, and you don't know where you're, what, you're, what you're clothed with. Because to say you're sorry is to say Jesus is sorry. We'll get to that here in a minute. He says repent, which just means change. Change and do what? Do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then he goes on, and we're not gonna read verses six through seven. I think, I think you get the point. Um, now, based on a couple of things, and, th- and you'll see where I'm going with this. Based on three, three things we'll talk about today, there's others, but based on these three things, um, these scriptures, this truth is going to sound different to you. Uh, based on how aware you are that, let's just read them. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but because of his great love, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. But it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us, us is who? Believers, Christians. Raise your hand if you're in us. This is a you, we're, we're talking about you. So he says, God raised us up with Christ and did what? Seated us with him. Seated us with him, where? in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Your heavenly reality is you are seated with Jesus. That's your heavenly reality. That's your, and it's not just anywhere that you're seated. You're seated at the right hand. There's a reason. Because the right hand represents a seat of favor, a seat of righteousness. Special seat. That you're seated with Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died in your life. Who's he talking about? The dead, this dead person someone who's died to the flesh and has come alive in the rebirth of the new covenant. Your new life is what? Hidden with Christ. Galatians 3.27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have what? Clothed yourself with Christ. We're gonna use those three words, seated, clothed, and hidden. We're gonna use those three words for the rest of this message because it's actually impossible to exaggerate the significance of those three, three, three things. Where you're seated, according to you, according to him, it's, it's settled. God knows where you're seated. The question is, do you? God knows what he clothed, clothed you with. He knows. The question is, do you? He knows what you're hidden with. He knows these things. The question is, do you? There's this, there's this principle. Let me say it a different way. The rest of your life will be spent trying to bring your earth, your heavenly reality and make it your earthly reality. You wanna sum up Christianity, it's bringing heaven to earth in every area of your life. Jesus taught the disciples to pray how? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. So he said, 
get a heavenly perspective on everything, every single thing. Now, by faith, bring that heavenly perspective to earth. We are not waiting for God to take us to heaven. He's waiting on us to bring heaven to earth. Pretty simple. That, re- that alone, that principle alone, that truth alone makes so many things clear. In your mind, describe heaven. In heaven, is there sickness or disease? Then should there be sickness and disease in our life? Well, here's what I know to be true. There is, which means I have not fully seen the realities of heaven on earth. So my labor, my work is, Lord, I want to bring heaven to earth. Therefore, if I see the sick, I'm gonna pray heaven over that sickness. I'm gonna pray heaven over that disease. Do you understand? Is there any poverty in heaven? No. We live in mansions, y'all. Mine's probably gonna be bigger than y'all's, but it's still a mansion. I'm still hoping I got a bass boat up there. I said, can we just talk about that? It's like, is there going to be a slip to park my boat in when I get up there? <laughs> These are all reality. There, there is no poverty in heaven. People get freaked out over pe- preaching what's, and I, and I get why. I, honest to God, I get why. This concept of, it's got a name, which is where this name came from, don't know. But it's got a name. They call it the prosperity gospel. You ever, raise your hand, you've heard this, the prosperity gospel. Be honest in church. How many of you guys been turned off by some of the prosperity gospel? You better tell the truth right now. Get them hands up. You know, some, especially some of the ones that preach it, you're like, you're weird. I mean, really weird. But just think about this for just a second. Is there any, pros, is there any poverty in heaven? Do you think every person in heaven is prosperous? What do you think earth ought to look like? You think praying for prosperity is wrong? Well, I, I just need enough for me and my family. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna live in abundance. Also known as, I don't wanna help anybody. Also known as, I'm just here for me. Sounds anti-scriptural to me. People say, that prosperity gospel is not, that. first of all, it's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. <laughs> but according to Jesus, and what the new covenant says, I need, if it's in heaven, I want it on earth. Now, can you get a wrong heart about it? 100%. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So I'm not saying you can't get it twisted, but what I'm saying is read the Bible. Find out what it says is supposed to be on earth. Now, what else is going on in earth in the spirit realm? You are hanging with Jesus. You're not just hanging with Jesus, you're sitting in the same chair as Jesus. Which means every time God looks, and, and according to scripture, you're clothed with him and you're hidden with him. It's not complicated. If something is hidden, if, I mean, Jesus. My phone is hidden from y'all, right? Which means what? You can't see it. So my, home, my phone is hidden with iPad. <laughs> so if you want, when you try to look at phone, what do you see? You are hidden with Christ. So when God tries to look at you, what does he see? Jesus. Now what emotion, what emotion comes from a father that's looking at Jesus? 
my dog. When, he, when God tries to look at us, he's forced to look. It was his plan. He didn't force himself to do anything he didn't want to do. He, to see us, he has to see Jesus. He has to. Why? Because we're clothed. We're hidden. And because we're wearing his clothes and hiding in him, we belong in this seat. You will never, I want you to wrap your head around this. For all of eternity, we will be learning more about that, that thing right there. The significance of Jesus. We will never exhaust it. I, I, I mean, raise your hand if you've ever heard a message in your lifetime on being hidden in Christ. To some extent, we've all heard this. I'm telling you, you don't even know this. You had not even scratched the surface. You haven't even scratched the surface of what it feels like to fully be aware that the God of this universe has no negative feelings towards you. He has no negative thoughts towards you. And you say, well, hang on just a minute. This is where you're getting out of hand. Because what you may not know is I'm actually addicted to pornography. What you may not know is I actually have a, I actually have a chronic lying problem. I mean, I, my life's a lie. If you knew me, like you don't know me, nobody knows me because I've been living a lie my whole life. What you don't know about me is six months ago I cheated on my wife. What you don't know about me is I'm stealing from my company. What you don't know about me is I cheat on my taxes. And you can fill it in the, in the blank with whatever you want to fill it in. But I'm telling you where this reality comes off, oftentimes to a screeching halt is we identify with our behavior more than we identify with scripture. I had a guy tell me this, I was telling you about it earlier. He said, I heard a pastor say it this way. The fact is, you may have lied, but the truth is, you are not a liar. Because for you to be a liar, Jesus would have to be a liar. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, who in a moment forgot who you were and told a lie. And I propose to you, the more you live from this reality, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the power to never lie again rises up on the inside of you. Why? Because I'm not trying to, why do we lie? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that the truth will run our friends away. We're afraid that the truth won't get us where we want to be in our, in our, uh, with our employer. We tell lies because we believe that the truth about us isn't good enough for someone. And here's the reality. That same person that's told a lie is, is already, according to scripture, already in the best chair you can get to in heaven. So if I know who I am in heaven, and I'm bringing heaven to earth, I don't need to lie to you or anybody else because I, I know what he thinks about me. And when I know what he thinks about me, I can tell you the truth even if it's ugly. We all have some ugly truth about ourselves. But when my identity is found in what he says about me instead of how I behaved last week or yesterday or 30 minutes ago, when this is more real than this, I have no problem working on this. I have no problem talking about this. I have no problem even being vulnerable about this. In fact, I'm reading you scripture where the Lord basically said, hey, you've, you've left your first love. He was talking to me. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I, 
I love working for the Lord. I love building churches. I love raising leaders. I love creating systems that help the church function better. I, I love all of those things. You know what my weakness is? Intimacy with God. In fact, sometimes when I hear people talk about their relationship with God, it weirds me out. Because they're like, oh man, I just had, a, had this vision and the Lord just, he, he came down and he caressed my bosom. <laughs> and he, and, he, and, he, and they get this face and posture. He held me so tightly and I, I, just, I could just feel his brow upon my brow. And, and I'm like, ugh. I was like, I think there's some frustration you need to work out elsewhere. I'm not 100% certain that was God doing all that. <laughs> you need to get married or something. But here's the thing, if I live over here and what he says about me, I know he made me a certain way, I, I, I live over here, when every now and then he says, hey, man, you're working really hard. You're working really hard. You're calling out false apostles. You're calling out liars. And I really appreciate what you're doing. But you've been doing so much. I don't remember the last time me and you went on a date. A lot of men in here. We, 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 we know this, we, man, I can work hard, I'm gonna provide, for, and it is a sign of love, don't get, it, don't get it wrong, it is a sign of love, but there are other signs of love. And I can read this right here and go, it's the Lord telling me, I love what you're doing over here, I don't really love what you're doing over here, and there's more of a, it's an invitation. Correction is an invitation to more of him. But if I haven't secured my identity over here that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I will read this scripture and be so full of shame. I, Lord, I, man, I can't believe I did this again. I, honest to God, I, I don't even know why you still want me to do anything for you. Only praying once, twice a week, not really, I mean, some of the things that I know better than to do, I'm doing them again. And Anybody else where you like, you find yourself in a situation where you're like, how did I get back here again? Like, how did that happen? Well, if I don't know who I am over here, I will hold this behavior as an identity. And the enemy will use that against you and he will literally convince you, you don't love God. If you loved God, he wouldn't have to invite you back into intimacy. If you really loved him, anybody else had the enemy talk to you like that? If you really love God, if you were really a Christian, if you'd really changed, and he does all these things like that. And when those things come, this is how we have, what we have to learn to do. We have to learn to use spiritual principles to appropriate the new covenant into our life. Spiritual principles. The work of the new covenant is words. When you were born again, you didn't get born again just because you believed in God. Just how God created the world, you were recreated a new person when you believed in your heart and you confessed with your mouth. Something happens when you open your mouth. And I propose to you the same way you got into the new covenant is the same way you execute the new covenant in every area of your life. You open your mouth. And when the enemy comes and says, if you really love God, if you really love God, he wouldn't have to talk to you like this. When he comes and says things like that, you say, oh, no, no, no. I know I love God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If Jesus loves God, I love God. If Jesus is serving God, I'm serving God. And I am so thankful that I have so much of his tender mercies in my life that he can say things like this to me because he just wants me to look more like him. 
It changes the tone by which we receive correction. If your identity is not secure, you will run from stuff like this. Certain scriptures, certain people, certain people that convict you, certain people whose lifestyle convicts you, I don't want to be around them. And then we'll say things like this that we don't even mean. We just don't know how to deal with what's going on on the inside of us. They're just judgmental. And they might be. I'm not saying, I mean, we, we're all prone to judgment. But sometimes like, ah, I don't want to go around them or I don't want to go to church or I don't want to be in this. or I don't, I, Why? Because what we feel in here when we're around truth, when we're around purity, when we're around holiness. And the problem isn't that they need to change or the environment needs to change. What needs to change is how you see you. Because if you see you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, if you see you the same way God sees you, where he can't even see you without seeing Jesus, then you have no problem coming over here and going, well, hey, I'm, if I need to work on some things, let me say it another way. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your decisions are like a possession. You should hold them out like this. And just like I can exchange possessions, upgrade possessions, your behavior is like a possession. It is not who you are, it's something you have. I am this, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, who right now seems to have in his possession a little bit of problem with gossip, a little problem with judgment, a little fill in the blank. But if as long as it's a possession and it's not who you are, you don't mind holding it out and say, hey, you wanna work on it? None of us have a possession in our life that we wouldn't like a better version of. Better car? Better house, better bass boat, better deer lease. Come on now. Let's get spiritual. It's a, it's, it's a thing. Your behavior's a thing. It's not who you are. And when I separate those two, now for the first time I have the courage to go, all right, from this place I'm going to work on this thing. If you, let me say this. You, the Spirit of the Lord will never correct you beyond what your identity in Christ can sustain you. Here's what, here's what that means. If there's something you need to work on, but the Holy Spirit knows if I bring this up, it's gonna lead them into shame, you know what he'll do? Not even bring it up. And some of y'all don't believe that. You're like, no, no, he don't like it. He don't like all of it. I know he don't like all of it, but he likes you more than that. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples, man, there's a lot of things we need to talk about. <laughs> but you're not ready to bear them. Notice what was the, what was the contributing, main contributing factor to how much truth Jesus delivered, how much you could handle. The Spirit of the Lord is not gonna give you more correction than, can, than you can sustain with your identity in Christ. Now, the bad news is that the enemy don't play like that. He's trying to give it all to you and make you feel like a pile of stuff. You yourself are trying, your own voice, your own soul is talking to you and trying to make you feel ashamed of you, but not the Spirit of the Lord. However, the Spirit of the Lord is trying to transform you into the dear image, the image of Jesus. But if you cannot be corrected, you cannot be promoted. And you cannot be corrected if you are not hidden. You see where this is going? I want every single one of you in this room to fulfill everything that God's called you to fulfill. I want you to be everything he's called you to be. But I know that you'll only receive the correction and the development that you need according to how hidden you are in Christ. 
So you have to look upon Jesus, look upon Jesus, declare his word, declare your righteousness over and over and over again until the words that come out of your mouth in terms of the promises of God, you actually feel like you have a right to ask for. When you're dealing with shame, there are certain things you wouldn't dare ask the Lord for. You don't think you deserve them. Question, do you think Jesus deserves them? Then pray that prayer. Pray the prayers that would get Jesus what he deserved and his perfect obedience. Let me wrap this up. We, um, when, that, when that phrase, when I read that phrase, obviously there was an invitation for me personally into intimacy um, with the Lord. So that's, that's on me. But when he said that phrase, repent and do the first works, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And many of you would not know. In fact, just by show of hands, how many of you guys have been at this church over five years? So at least half of you in this room do not know this, this portion of our history. When we started this church, I started this church preaching this and only this. And the Lord wouldn't let me preach anything else. In fact, so much so I got concerned. I said, Lord, if I preach the same message every week, people are gonna get tired of hearing it. And I would come home to Leanne and be like, hey, I feel like I'm basically repackaging the same message over and over and over and over and over again. And really all I talk about is God loves you, Jesus loves you, he died, you're hidden, you're seated, repeat. And I, I, I really, I felt this and, and what, and of course I've, and I, and I can't go into it right now, but I had an incredible encounter with the Lord that did something in me that brought me to a place where I was more aware of this than most at the time. But Leanne didn't have that encounter and we're married. And so she said, honey, I'm gonna be honest with you. Every time you preach, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. And here's why, because we will be learning about this for all of eternity and never exhaust it. You can never exhaust this. Now, what happened as a result of me preaching this for two, two and a half years, nonstop, nothing else, is it's almost like a courage. We found this scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, says God set these gifts in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles and healing. We read that. Lord, show me that. Gosh, it's been eight years ago now. And when I read that for the first time, I'm like, Lord, we're not going after miracles and healing enough. And so we, we shifted a little bit. There's a reason we take communion every Sunday so that we keep Jesus the main thing. But we shifted a little bit and said, hey, we wanna start going out. We wanna see God move. We wanna see power. We wanna see miracles. We wanna see healing. But what's crazy is, and we didn't know this, or maybe I didn't, some of y'all may have known. I didn't realize what was going on. Jesus took us to a place in our identity where we had the courage and the faith to believe for stuff like that first. He didn't take us straight to that. He started over here and said, I need you to know who you are. Now that you know who you are, now you have faith for what you can ask for. And the result was a, I'm telling you, mind-blowing. We started seeing miracles break out, healings break out, craziest things you've ever, not sometimes, every single week. Every single week, miracle here, miracle there, miracle. Miracles just began to break out. And what some people started saying, I didn't say this, what some people started saying, it's like, that's revival. Revival. And I'll just be honest with you, by some definition, it was and still is. I mean, I, I, I've got some pastor friends, they see what's going on here and they're just, y'all are in full-blown revival. But in December, what the Lord was saying to me is, is, hey, you are where you are, not because you went after revival. You are where you are and you're experiencing what you experience because you went after me. And the fruit of going after me is revival. 
revival's not my target. Jesus is my target. Knowing him, becoming more like him, and exhibiting the love that only he could exhibit to the world around me. And the fruit of that is signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's what he was saying to me in Revelations chapter two. I've seen some of the work you've done, but you've left your first works. Go back and do what you were doing at the beginning. And I knew immediately the Lord was saying, get back to telling people who I say they are. There's a whole room, room full of people that need to hear it all over again. Let me tell you who you are and let that identity begin to rise up on the inside of you. And with that identity comes faith to believe God for every single thing that's in that Bible. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.